0: Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, and with us today is Kenny McDonald, the president and CEO of the Columbus Partnership. So welcome, Kenny. Thank
1: you for having me. It's great.
0: We are going to be talking today about community development, and I proudly live in Columbus, Ohio, so I am delighted to have the conversation with someone in my community who makes this a brilliant place to live. Well, thank
1: you. Our family's lived here 12 years, and we love Columbus.
0: And you've lived several other places and had similar roles around the U.S.
1: Yeah, I'm originally from Montana, so I'm a proud, rare Montana native, and I always call that home. But I've lived in Georgia and South Carolina, New Mexico, North Carolina, and now here in Ohio.
0: And we get the benefit
1: of your expertise and wisdom. It's a culmination of a lot of great communities, and we're trying to put it to work here in Columbus.
0: So we've had big announcements, but let's start with what's on your mind about how community development is evolving as all of our worlds become more complex? Well, building communities,
1: whether that might mean a neighborhood for some people, a whole community, small town, or large cities around the world are all struggling with the same thing right now, which is as we're coming out of COVID and the future of work is being defined. It's not defined yet. And infrastructure is being rebuilt around the world. There's never been a more exciting time, I think, certainly in our generation, to think about how we're going about the business of making our communities better, making them more inclusive, providing opportunity for all, and kind of bridging the gap to what's next. I don't think we're there yet. And so it's a super uncomfortable and fun time.
0: Not there yet. I get it. And every time we think we are there, a new variant of COVID happens or something else. With that said, what's working? What's working is
1: it's like anything else, maybe is sticking to the principles that got you there because your principles are super important. So understanding your values, understanding what you stand for, understanding what your community stands for. If you know that, Mm -hmm. then the tactics can change. How do you stay close to those principles and do things differently?
0: Years ago, the Columbus Partnership created the Columbus Way. Has that changed? Have the principles, fundamental principles changed?
1: No. In fact, the way I would describe it is the community created the Columbus Way. The Columbus Partnership is a representative group of CEOs, and large companies, institutions, major employers that are representative of the thousands of associates that they have in the market, but also all these small businesses that serve those larger businesses in our market and the retail businesses we have here and stuff like that. And everything the community accomplishes, and this is true around the world, certainly true here in Columbus, Ohio, requires the private sector, the public sector, the academic sector, the nonprofit sectors to work together. Now, we like to think that we do that as good or better than anybody else, and then we have some special sauce about doing that really well. But the values come out of the community. And I like to think that we've tried to codify them. We've tried to put them down on paper. You know, that fellowship and having relationships and being inclusive, mm-hmm. and all those things are part of it, but it really comes from the people that live here.
0: And so while you're not an elected representative, you are certainly a representative of our
1: community. Yeah, I mean, anytime that you're in economic development, and we talk about this as a team constantly, is mm-hmm. there is a special responsibility We all have our personal feelings about things. We all have wants in our own daily lives as people who live here as well. Mm -hmm. And actually as professionals that do some of this work and study the work about how to make cities better and stuff. But at the end of the day, we're representing people that aren't at the table. In fact, I would add to that, that we have a special responsibility for the people that are definitely not at the table and don't have a voice. That are working in our community, but aren't invited to the table or maybe expects representatives like us to just have their best interests in mind. So we we have to live up to that every day.
0: Well, and that ranges from small businesses all the way down, I'm assuming, to people who don't know there is a table. Right. That they don't know they're excluded. Right. Some people at least know there's a (laughs) table. They've heard of the Columbus Partnership. (laughs)
1: There's always a small group of people who have to make some decisions for the community and have resources, and that includes government officials, but it also includes the private sector, How are we going to use those resources to make life better for our residents to live here?
0: You know, as you say that, something resonates with me because occasionally, or not so rarely in some cases, people demonize the private sector. And yet I hear you saying we make the best ethical decision we can for our community given the set of constraints we face.
1: It's a really interesting time. I moved to Columbus at the end of the financial crisis of 08 and 09, moved here in 2010. And at that time, if you took a trust survey, the trust of business of the business community after the housing crisis, things like that was super low. And the trust in government was high. Now, a little bit of that has flipped. Now, there's local versions of that and stuff. Mm -hmm. But nationally, business has a really good reputation. Because if you've been running a business organization the last two or two and a half years, you've become extremely involved in everybody's lives. You know what their dog's names are. You know all their <laughs> children's names because you've seen them on Zoom. There's, that's part mm-hmm. of it. But you also have become much more involved in their life about their health. How do you take care? We, we're working on something with Pelotonia here and all of our healthcare institutions and our major companies around um, President Biden's cancer moonshot the other day. Mm. And it occurred to me that you know, our companies are making a major push to try to have people get back into the hospital and get their screenings for cancer, which can prevent so many different types of cancers or at least diagnose things early. That's not something that maybe 10 years ago that you would have thought maybe that was an odd conversation with your employer. And now the fact that your employer is asking you to do that. In fact, I had one of my own employees say this today because we talked about it on Monday and said, I'm going to the hospital. It was a great reminder to get screened. Actually, I'm going tomorrow. Exactly. Right. (laughs) And uh, there's a lot of good that's come out. Business is at the forefront of that. Mm -hmm. And I would argue always has been for 28 years of my life and my professional setting. I've worked with companies Mm -hmm. around the world and in the communities that I've worked in. And I got to say that it's a special uh, privilege to be around these leaders who do really have the best intentions of their associates, the communities they serve in mind. And they are absolutely trying to do the best thing in a very complicated world. And I'm amazed by some of the things that they do, both that are reported and a lot of things that go unreported and aren't known by just the normal public.
0: I also have the privilege of working with a lot of the senior folks, and they're grappling, and I use the word grappling wholeheartedly, with big issues. We're navigating climate change and health issues, and yet companies still have to be profitable so they can pay their employees, elevating wages. It's a complex time, and there aren't easy answers.
1: Probably the strangest labor market we've had in um, 50 or 60 years. Mm -hmm. The greatest inflation we've had in 40 years. Incredibly difficult global supply chain issues that prevent us from going to the store and buying an everyday good to disrupting global semiconductor supply chains and things like that for big items. It's really super hard to run an institution or a business right now.
0: Add the uncertainty to fuel that we don't know because of the war in Ukraine, there's instability.
1: There's volatility, and I would argue that we're going to be in an era where that's going to be more of the norm. Mm -hmm. And what we would like to all get to safer waters and calmer waters, and some businesses might, or some aspects of our community might. I would say it's going to be more normal, but there's a little more volatility as the world has to kind of remake itself post-COVID as well. The world order and business supply chains and social structures have all been upended.
0: We're doing an interview in a week on the topic of VUCA, so volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, and that there are antidotes to that. Of course, it's volatile. And to your point, I don't see any projections that say it's going to just get back to the good old days. (laughs) So how do we as leaders equip ourselves and our organizations to manage it? And for me, one of the questions is how do individual leaders build the personal resilience? And the word anti-fragile comes to mind. How do I get stronger because of the challenges I face rather than at the end of the week on a Friday, I have to go you know, (laughs) pour myself in bed and not talk to people for a couple of days?
1: Well, that might be necessary regardless. (laughs) But I keep coming back to, I think it was a nice to have to have really set principles and values. Maybe it was always really important, but it's really important the more volatile it is, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: both personally, organizationally, and in a community. And to lean on those values more and more and more, the more volatile it gets, that's the one thing that you can rely on, Mm -hmm. is what do we believe in? How do we approach this? I also think that it's creating unbelievable opportunity. I think one of the struggles that leaders have is there's also a bevy of of opportunity being created. So anytime there's volatility that shakes loose things that perhaps you didn't have a shot at entering that market before, and all of a sudden you can, or a technology changes, and that gives you an opportunity to do something you couldn't do 10 years, 20 years, two years ago. Dealing with all that opportunity is stressful as well.
0: So let's talk about Intel. Intel. I am sure there are a lot of people very stressed right now for the big win of Intel.
1: For our team personally, it's been about 12 or 13 months since we first got the call and started working with the company, competing for the project first and doing all the things that were necessary sort of behind the scenes and working with our state and our communities and utility providers and everything else. What's most exciting about that is that is a global project. We're proud that we competed in one. We're also well aware that we're called to service around this. This is something that's of national importance. Mm -hmm. I'd argue that it's of global importance. And New Albany, Ohio is the place where that will be physically located. Mm -hmm. It'll have a great impact on the local area, the state of Ohio, the Midwest, and ultimately their entire supply chain and a lot of companies downstream from that. So we take great pride, even on the tough days. That we have a special responsibility to live up to that goes well beyond our normal obligation.
0: I hear words like service, obligation. It really does define what I know of you, which is a bit through our common friends. It really does define not just what you say on a podcast, but who you are and how you and I assume by extension the partnership views our community.
1: We have about 40 people across the entire Columbus partnership that work at the various entities on Columbus, Smart Columbus, and the partnership itself. If you ask all of them why they do this work, it's usually not about them. It's about doing it for someone else. Or perhaps they came from a community that had struggled and they got into this work to help communities. They happen to be doing this in Columbus. Ohio, and in the 11 counties of Makeup Central Ohio. They really do bring that to work every day. We do take the work super seriously because of that. We really make an effort to take ourselves not very seriously Uh because of that as well, because, (laughs) because we're just a vehicle for it. And the leaders that enable that, the companies that support that effort, that lean in and do the things that enable that work, but also do it themselves. So many of our community partners are actually on the field doing the work with us. It's just great pride to be part of something like that in a coalition that is getting the recognition that it deserves finally for really
0: decades of work. You don't win intel because you hit the field 18 months ago.
1: No. We were uh, just talking about this earlier today that we won about 500 times. We probably lost about a thousand times (laughs) (laughs) on various things, big and small. I will say that we did pursue this though. We realized that in the Midwest and in Ohio in particular, and maybe specifically here in Columbus, Ohio, nearly every other part of the business world is represented here. Biopharma, aerospace, automotive, fintech, insurtech, all the weight we have in those sectors, the major retail sector, logistics, e-commerce. The one thing we didn't have was semiconductors, and we didn't have microelectronics, was really the only global supply chain that didn't touch this part of the country, there's nothing like a, a fabs that'll be built here within 500 miles. We just saw another announcement yesterday in Indianapolis from part of that supply chain. First of all, I wish it was in Ohio. I have to say that, <laughs> but great pride that it's actually in Indiana and that the Midwest is going to start winning. That it is predicated on Intel's planting their facilities here first. There'll be lives changed, families changed because of that that whole
0: industry coming here. And this is generational change.
1: It really is. If you look at the communities, even around the world, but let's go to Portland, Oregon and Phoenix, Arizona and Austin, Texas, where there's a number of these facilities. When you visit them and you understand what the chart looked like prior to those companies coming to those markets and what it looks like afterwards and what dollars it brought into the community, the technology that it brought into the community, perhaps actually how it enlivened
0: their technology space their startup space their universities healthcare. You you hit on we've got a big cancer center here this kind of revenue coming into the community helps build our health care it really
1: helps that big stuff i think i might even get more excited about just the personal stories we're beginning to have people move here they're going to help build the facilities first some of the engineering people are now looking for homes in our market, and their spouses are also moving to the market. I get really excited about people who come to our community and say, we've never even been to Ohio before. We're moving there. And the more they learn about it, they get really excited. Mm-hmm. Now, that happens all over the place. That's maybe not something that's reported to the scene all the time. It's just one more way that lives are changed through that front page story that some think that's just a manufacturing plant.
0: So much more than that. So for people who don't know about what's happening with Intel, can you give the one minute rundown of what this is?
1: It is the siting starting with two fabs and what will hopefully be as many as eight fabs on a 900 acre site in New Albany, Ohio. It'll make some of the most advanced semiconductors in the world. And over time could be the largest semiconductor location, in fact, in the world for Intel. And they have facilities all over the world. Here in the United States, it's uh, Hillsboro, Oregon, Chandler, Arizona, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we're proud to be part of that group of communities now that are help Intel use technology to change the world.
0: And this is some reshoring, I'm assuming, that as a result of COVID and supply chain and the trends we've been talking about, there is volatility and then there is the antidote, in some cases, making different business decisions.
1: Well, the first thing is just to meet capacity demands. There's more semiconductors in our lives every, every day. You wake up in the morning on um, two devices that ring because of the circuits they put on the, <laughs> on, the, on the chips. You get in your car and there's thousands of chips in your vehicle and you enter offices or you open up laptops and it enables our remote work. Nobody goes untouched from this industry on a daily basis. You literally couldn't get through much of your day and be that productive if there weren't chips. And there's a huge deficit right now. So there's huge demand. Like every country, the United States wants that to be done in it here. There's lots of national security reasons for that to be done. There's also just simple supply chain resiliency reasons for that to be done in our country as well. And we think we can do it relatively the same cost if we help engineer this with the company and the industry itself.
0: Another theme that I think I hear from you, there's a lot of work that you do that's cross-sector. All of our work
1: is cross-sector. You know, I, I mentioned it before that part of our job is to make sure all of those sectors come to the table and are practiced at coming to the table. So when an opportunity comes our way, the academic partners that we need to deliver the pipeline of great talent to a company, we've already been working on it, right? And we come to the table and we customize things around a unique opportunity. We work with our government sector to know that you know if somebody wants to come in and invest, That if we help them mitigate their costs here, what are we willing to incent them to come here? What's a good deal for the community? What's a good deal for the state? Very proud to say the state of Ohio, Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor Husted, Jobs, Ohio, they did that work prior. So they knew, you know, how can we ensure that the people of Ohio get a good deal out of this? The city of New Albany does that. Franklin County, Licking County. And our utilities have to do the same thing. It's our job to make sure they come to the table. Again, that's the great value of us having won and lost hundreds of times. When these opportunities come on our doorstep, we're really ready to go.
0: That seems to me to be not exclusive to Columbus and to Ohio, but really well practiced here.
1: We like to think so. And that we also would come back to where we started the conversation, which is the game's constantly changing. And that serving those customers, whether you're serving them as an accountant or an economic developer, you have to constantly evolve and change the game and get better at it so that you can do it faster and give people more predictable answers. And hopefully you've done a lot of the proactive work, preparing your community for these opportunities. And whether that's a small business locating in a minority neighborhood or it's a major opportunity like Intel, being prepared is where you win and lose.
0: So what did you do, and by extension, your team and and the community do to prepare for an Intel?
1: You have to intellectually prepare, right? So you have to know what these types of industries require, what is going to be the most important things to them. At the end of the day, the, the Intel facility is a major manufacturer, similar to Amgen and Worthington and a Honda and all these other people that we have here. But they have some special characteristics. So you got to know what those are. You don't have to know their industry, but you have to speak their language. And again, that's, that's true for any of the businesses, fintech companies, biopharma companies, gene and cell therapy companies that come to our market. We study that and we prepare for that moment. Then we have to physically prepare. Infrastructure is so difficult now because it's constantly advancing, becoming more sophisticated. Think about the electrical infrastructure that's required to run these facilities, the renewable energy that is required and wanted by advanced companies, almost every one of them that comes to the market now. And then finally, the workforce. In normal times, this would be an enormous lift to make sure that they have people to build the facility, to populate the facility, to make the chips eventually. This is going to be even more difficult because we're in a changing labor market. And so the task is not small, but I feel very confident we're going to be successful.
0: So let's talk about workforce for a minute. You've got everything from junior achievement to college partnerships to Columbus State doing workforce development, and I'm sure there are thousands of entities in that span.
1: This is where it comes in handy that we've worked with hundreds of companies. The coalitions are built. We know the capacity we have, the capacity that perhaps we don't have. Let me add a couple of things to that. Mm -hmm. There are the people themselves. There's the training programs. There's the academic institutions. But delivering a workforce is also about having a housing supply. So addressing having a proper housing supply across our region in a growing region where people are moving here. Do we have enough houses to maintain our affordability? That includes subsidized housing, but it'll call just all kinds of housing. Do we have the transit to get people from those homes to their place of work? particularly when gasoline prices are as high as they are right now, that becomes an even more important issue. How's our childcare working? How do we get working families and in particular working women, how do we remove that obstacle for them so that they can actually take that great opportunity? Because they may have taken the training. They may have done the work. We want to remove that obstacle so that they can actually have a great family life as well as a great career job. And so we look at all of those things as workforce obstacles. And as a community and the great metropolitan areas around the country are dealing with this, all those issues are workforce issues too. And I think actually we're more successful at solving them when we think of them that way, as opposed to siloed interest group driven issues instead of things that actually make us enable a great economy.
0: So I worked with a group of college students. They were taking systems diagramming class, so that understanding holistic systems. And that was one of the things, as I got to talk about our community, that I was able to point to how you are looking systemically at solving challenges. And that the challenges all of our communities face... And we certainly, whatever we're doing well, I assume we want Indianapolis to do well and Detroit to do well because we want our humans to thrive.
1: I'm such a big advocate of cities in particular, cities and metropolitan areas, particularly mid-sized cities (laughs) that I think have scale. You know, they're big enough to actually have all these assets at their disposal. They're also small enough where you have these coalitions that form. You can kind of get your arms around them and you can get access to great people from the corporate leader to the president of the university to the expert in whatever field we're talking about and you can assemble that team pretty quickly and then you can get really practical and and go about it and try to make change and it doesn't require the unwinding that maybe it requires in a much larger city mm-hmm. it's at the scale that really means something when you actually do this in multiple communities like as a as a region right mm-hmm. i love systems thinking We like to think about it that way. We also like to get stuff done, all right? It comes down to, are we going to be able to deliver this to the client and on time?
0: You know what struck me with the systems diagram is we were able to see what worked and what was a barrier so that we could say, and again, this was an external looking, overlaying several different cities globally and saying, okay, what's happening with transportation? What's happening with the food bank? You know, how do we make sure that people have healthy food to sustain while they're in a training program or whatever the challenge is that people are going through?
1: Really applaud leaders like uh, our community college, Columbus State in this case, but they're, again, they're all over the country that are great examples of this, of really looking at like what's inhibiting people from actually getting that training, that certificate, even that two-year degree that's going to unlock that opportunity. In this case, these jobs are great career jobs that are available now. 80,000, 90,000, well over 100,000, even with certificates, without a four-year degree, right? Mapping why we're losing people. And so often, it's so frustrating, but also accurate that people are not falling out because they don't have the skill or the aptitude. It's that they got a flat tire and the extra expense of that flat tire and the fact that they missed a week of class or something like that completely derails them. The more we can provide people a little safety net on things like that, we can get them there. And then the economic benefit we get out of that by getting them through that short period of time is enormous. We went through this with J.P. Morgan Chase, which actually helped us map our workforce across the region and workforce system and to see how that was impacting equitable training and workforce opportunities, which is a gigantic opportunity for our economy.
0: I'm going to give a micro example, but a friend of mine runs Color Coded Labs. Yeah. The idea that people of color typically are able to come out of very low paying jobs, go through this certification program, and move into $60,000, $80,000 a year jobs. So this is someone who was making minimum wage, which is still $750 an hour or something. So some people still have those jobs, right. and then they're at $60,000. That is a generational impact, because their kids have choices now that they wouldn't have had.
1: I will say another thing that gets us out of bed in the morning is just the belief that the power of a full-time job with benefits— not only individually, but in families and then through translation communities is maybe the most important thing beyond meeting your spouse or something like this. is super <laughs> important. The structure that it provides to people, those benefits that when you do get sick or a family member gets sick, that you're going to get through that and not get derailed most of the time. And then the supportive infrastructure of the people you work with, not just the employer that provides to people in a very difficult time. In an era where we're talking about issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, in an era when mental health is a part of an everyday conversation, I think the power of that job and that structure of being part of the economy has never been more important. And that's another thing that gets our team incredibly motivated to get up in the morning and do the work we do.
0: You know, the one I would add to that is then the faith community still plays a big role in an how do I belong.
1: I would even say beyond just the faith community, just community-based organizations mm-hmm. that have trust in the local community. Mm-hmm. I think so much about, we work a lot with our immigrant community. We're proud to have a large immigrant community in Columbus, like so many cities around the country. They just bring unbelievable talents to our market. Uh, they bring diversity. Beyond race, with their culture of their country, the culture, <laughs> everything that they bring to those that workplace, the more we remove obstacles for them fully participating and using those skills within our companies, um, within our communities, in starting businesses and things like that, it improves the community so much. It's beyond worth it. What it unlocks in your economy is just almost unbelievable goes well beyond the numbers.
0: One of my clients gives jobs to immigrants as they enter the country. And often those are low-paid jobs for people who were highly professional. Right. So you may have been a doctor or an engineer. The thing this client does that many don't is then they provide a pathway to teach entrepreneurship, get recertified so that folks aren't trapped in that low-end or minimum-paid jobs. They have the pride of earning and caring for their family
1: Fully utilizing the skills of our entire population is really what being inclusive means. And I think about the working mother, the widowed father, the minority groups across our region, the immigrant population. They all bring unbelievable talents. The thriving economies of tomorrow will find ways to use a higher and higher percentage of that entire population, particularly in an era where demographics are changing, The labor force is changing and the workplace is changing. That's going to be even more important. So the most successful cities in the world will be those that use those skills and find ways to unlock that.
0: How do you respond to people who are afraid of folks who are different?
1: We've had a lot of change in the world, right? There are some days when I've said, hey, I've had quite a bit of change the last few years. I'd like a little predictability the next next couple of days or something like that. I think it's a rational response to this flood of change we've had in the economy, in society. And so I always think pause for a minute and give someone a minute to sort of digest it and have a real conversation Mm -hmm. instead of explaining why. And, you know, listen, I think we should all give each other a little grace after the last two or three years. We should always do that. But if we do that and we take an extra 10 minutes sometimes, We'll be really surprised what we hear, first of all, because it's usually not about the thing that's being opposed. It's really just about digesting all of this change. And the fear of losing something is real. When business moves into a community or areas change quickly with new developments, we believe you got to take time to talk to the community members. You know, you have to sit down with them. You have to talk through how they're thinking about the community. On the other side of that, change is inevitable. We always tell communities that you get to shape this. Growth is inevitable. Growth is good. But ultimately, you have to form the values of your community. As some of these companies move in, they want nothing more. They actually want to be part of the community. They want to be part of the fabric, and they want to listen, and they want to bring their culture too. But it's magic when they actually match. Mm -hmm. We work with companies all the time that are looking for a place to call home. And so much of it is after you get down and you have the land and you prove that you have the workforce and it's cost effective place to locate, it does come down to are we going to be comfortable, welcomed, and can we be part of this community? And you win and lose sometimes about how open you are to that.
0: How do you prove that you're open?
1: It's really preparation. I will say, you know, if you want to treat somebody coming into your community and a business is not unlike a person sometimes. Trying to understand the needs. What do they stand for? What are you about? What do you value? Go visit communities that they actually operate in. See how they've operated in the community in the past. What do they give to? Mm -hmm. Ask those questions. You'll probably find that they'll be very open to what your interests are. And more of the companies are interviewing the community members. Are we going to be welcome here? Are our employees going to be welcome here? You know, there's always a place. There's always a place for them. But it's a competitive world. Those jobs, that investment is going to go somewhere. We'd like nothing more to show the world that the Columbus region is, we're smart, we're open. And that means not only to dollars and investment, but people and their ideas.
0: I grew up in the D.C. area, so coming to Columbus was a, a shift. I am still here, so clearly that was a a couple decades ago. They haven't let you out yet. (laughs) It's been positive for me and hasn't for everyone. My guess is, well, so many are really excited about Intel. It will change generations in this community. We won't be facing, I believe, the contraction that many of our sister communities face, where your kids leave home and they're never coming back because there's there's no opportunity. There were plenty of opportunities, and yet some folks aren't delighted. They lose something, their small neighborhood grocery store or whatever it is. How do you balance, because I hear a lot about stewardship, and I'm guessing this is dear to your heart. Yeah. You are making sense of the, quote, winners and losers yeah. of these kind of decisions?
1: Well, we try to facilitate the conversations a little bit, make sure that they're talking to each other. But uh, you know, again, think about great cities of the world. They've changed so many times. They've went through, they've evolved, they've been destroyed, they've come back. They've changed over time. Different populations have moved in and out. Cities are an amazing organism that continues to evolve. Thankfully, what we're trying to do here in central Ohio is to be the most prosperous region in the country. That means not only bringing investment and jobs, but also removing obstacles, closing gaps, and retaining and attracting the best talent in the world. And I always say being the most prosperous region in the country, that vision of that is um, akin to Google saying they want to organize all the world's information. You probably never get to claim the mountaintop on that because there's always something else. But we know what it's not. We know that it's not closed. We know that it doesn't have failing schools. We know that it doesn't have failing infrastructure, right? And our everyday pursuit of all these things is going to get, a, get us closer and closer to that every day. Growth is a necessary component of that, however.
0: We vacationed this year in Prague and Vienna, so students of history, and looking at kind of arc of time from the medieval castle through what the Habsburgs did in Vienna, and how those cities and regions and countries grew. And one of the things that really stood out to me is the investment that you're talking about. One thing that was fascinating that we don't do now is, instead of conquering, they married off their Kids to, right. you're not doing that, I don't think. But <laughs> the the other side of that that was really interesting was how much when dynasties, let's call them, were successful, they invested in art museums and right. things that served the community, opera houses, and just touring these, not only the buildings, but the essence that goes into the art and the music.
1: It's interesting that some of that stuff comes out of eras of disruption. So we started the conversation there. Mm -hmm. Volatility and disruption and uneasy times also has a way of creating great art. And um, if we really lean into that, you know, maybe we're also entering that era as well. And the thing that makes communities great is obviously got to have a great economy. You have to have dollars coming into it. But you also have to have a great community. And parks and art and music, and sports, they are as much a fabric as the dollars and cents.
0: It's been a little while, but um, big biker, uh, bicyclist, not motorcyclist. And we used to do these CEO bike-to-work days. It always happened in the rain. I don't know how (laughs) we always did it that badly. But it was interesting to see attorneys and judges and executives all on their bicycles in the rain modeling the kinds of behaviors we want from our communities yeah. we've got pelotonia and we've got people who just on the saturday morning that bike path is crowded
1: yeah what a great asset the uh, community not only does it serve a great purpose in terms of eliminating cancer but uh, think about how what, what great things that um, doug ullman and that whole team have brought to to the community we have a great chance to work together throughout the year and um those kind of assets are just awesome. I would also say when CEOs get on the COTA bus, all right, and they understand, like, we want to invest in transit, but what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. And people are willing to do that and see what that looks like and how are we going to do that? How are we going to build a new airport? How are we going to do things like that in our community? How are we going to do big things here, right? And the
0: new airport's in design, right?
1: Yeah. We keep pointing back to about 100 years ago, least in this market. We built one of the tallest buildings in the country, the Levesque Tower. We started construction on the shoe where the Buckeyes play. And we built all these community assets that we had their, our very first airstrip uh, that became the Columbus Airport forever and ever and ever. We started almost 100 years ago with groups of leaders, community advocates, people throughout our community, great businesses here that had a lot of less assets, less information than we do about how the you know what was going on in the world. They didn't have instantaneous information on their, at their fingertips. And um, they've made these big, bold moves. And what convicts me a little bit is, are we going to be bold enough? Are we going to think big enough and meet that moment now 100 years later in a different era?
0: So you've got the smart city, smart grid. What else are your big investments or big on the horizon? Well,
1: our smart cities team won a department of transportation grant almost seven years ago now and did unbelievable work to sort of ignite electrification across our community. And now they're working every day with the city of Columbus and communities throughout central Ohio on their climate action plans and really just how to use technology to advance social purposes and make government and the communities actually run better in all kinds of different ways. One super way that they're leaning in and using that expertise is to close the digital divide. In the city of Columbus and uh, Franklin County, we have about 80,000 residents that really don't have access to affordable broadband and, and are using it on a regular basis. And so we're working on all aspects of that, connectivity, devices, training, adaptability. And they're taking that expertise they built in working on transportation-oriented uses and applying it to closing that digital divide every day. And there's that's just one example of the Many things that that team is now doing, and we get more excited every day about the different avenues about how to use that for public safety and to also provide access across the community and eliminate some of these health inequities, education inequities, and opportunity inequities we have in the community.
0: One of my clients actually provides technology solutions for the unbanked and underbanked. So while you're doing brilliant work, we've also just got businesses who are also filling in those gaps. Every day. If you don't have technology, you can't get a job. You, you can't do all the stuff that we take for granted.
1: Well, it's almost impossible to participate in the modern economy, mm-hmm. right? And to change the direction of your family if you don't have that access. I'm an optimistic person, so mm-hmm. I, I actually look at that and think that we've never had a better opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. First of all, we have more technology. That's not always the solution because we've got to marry that technology with how do you get it adopted, trusted? How do you get that device in their hands? How do you get trained on actually how to use it? I think not only about our young people without access, but I also think about the incredible senior population that we have, right? And how are we going to use that? Again, use the higher higher percentage of our workforce, uh, citizens that we have, and the skills that they have, the experiences they have, to actually contribute to our economy.
0: Especially with labor shortage, and some seniors who want to be productive through the world of work. Absolutely. Helping them get comfortable re-entering. I can't imagine being out of the workforce for a decade and then deciding it's time to go back. I don't even know how to use everything in my own car. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned a little bit on the green side. What does Columbus do? I know we've got some, some of our roads and some of our sewers and things we don't seem very sexy, but there's a lot happening in infrastructure in the green space. Well,
1: sustainability, environment, and honestly, with the infrastructure dollars that are unprecedented that are coming from Washington right now. Again, we have one of the greatest opportunities in a generation to not only build infrastructure and improve infrastructure, but to change that infrastructure and perhaps do it at a much less cost and to do it in a way that actually benefits the environment. I don't look at that as a green movement or anything. I really do look at that as just an evolution and a smart business decision by communities and by businesses that are doing that differently. Think about the great manufacturers we have. They'd all like to use less water. They'd like to use less electricity, first of all, because it costs something, right? And so it's a smart business decision. Mm-hmm. And then they would like to do the right thing. They have an equal conviction about that. We marry those two ideas, and we're going to make tremendous strides in the next 10 years.
0: Is there a big project that you were talking about the investment 100 years ago of airstrips and, and such— is there something that's notable to you that the city or the region are working on? Oh my
1: goodness, I go on and on and on. I think, okay. I think, I, I think the evolution of our airport here as a mid-sized city, thinking about the kind of place uh, that we're growing here, how are we going to have a gateway not only to our city, but in our case, we're a capital city for the state of Ohio, and how are we going to welcome people that visit us from around the world? How do we use that as our front door? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also do that, and maybe build that a little differently, so that it's more sustainable. And then it's an airport of the future that not only serves the airline industry, but creates an entire new development around the community that it serves in the immediate area. Mm-hmm. I think about the innovation district being built uh, at Ohio State University, land that was highly underutilized for decades and decades, that is could be
0: the center of some of you know solving some of the world's biggest problems. Hell is, right? Right in that campus. Absolutely. I've worked with them and they're doing just across all axes. Think about Nationwide Children's Hospital and the
1: campus and the development that they've undertaken over the last dozen years and where that's going to take us the next 10 years and what it's going to mean for pediatric gene and cell therapy, things like that that are going to solve. Again, what we get really excited about is solving the world's problems from Columbus, Ohio, Mm -hmm. from talent that's born and bred here or that moved here from somewhere around the world to help work on those problems. And the institutions like we, like Patel, like Ohio State, like the many colleges and universities we have, and then working with our great companies here, doing it from here, that's a motivator for us and an aspiration.
0: Kenny, one of the things that you've said is important to you is a focus on creating a community that's inclusive, not only you at the partnership, but our entire community. Can you say a little bit about what's happening there?
1: Well, first of all, there's been, you know, really thousands of people that worked really, really hard to build up cities. You know, I started my work in the 90s, cities were in a different place then. They were built up into great economic engines over the last 30 years. But one thing that didn't happen at the same time or in equal balance was for that opportunity that was being created to be open and equitable for our minority populations. As we've looked at this, we believe in our case that we are going to lean in on our African American or Black population first. Not at the expense of other minorities, but uh, there's been a four-year, 100-year history of really segregation, unequitable uh, opportunity. What I get super excited about is the changing dynamics of the world favor this right now. Right? It's actually a huge advantage to have a tight labor market because it, it forces companies to say, uh, you know, I not only want to do things differently, I have to do them differently. When I list that job as someone of color, going to look at that and read that and see themselves in that position. Those simple business practices of how you list an opportunity. And then once you get someone in the door, how do you retain them? How do you make them feel like they can bring their whole self to work and their culture to work? By the way, how do you advance them all the way to the boardroom Mm -hmm. at the end of the day? I'm proud to say that our companies are working on that every single day. Very, very hard. There's been a number of chief diversity officers that have been hired. There have been staffs put around this. Uh There's been millions of dollars being put forth to this inside the companies. You know, see these announcements of billions of dollars being given away around it. But I think what gets me even more excited is the initiatives inside the companies to work with their HR departments, their legal departments, their operations people about how to do things differently. And what they're unlocking is going to change the country. Again, get super excited about the, the work that they're doing.
0: One data point that I saw was the conscious capitalism community educating, again, senior executives who were showing up for the conversation. Yeah. So what does it mean, white fragility? What does it mean, some of these other things that many of us thought, I'm not doing that? Most people I know in the executive ranks are really good people who are trying to do the right thing, and so they don't look in the mirror in the morning and say, I'm a racist. And yet, having just more understanding of what some of this stuff means and where do we have biases so i just finished a leadership program that i teach and one of the modules was on dni and i had all of the participants take one of the harvard assessments are you biased all of them came back and said boy i was surprised at my score cuz i don't see myself that way right but the assessment sees me that way. So what do we start doing? And just the conversations sparks action.
1: The personal journey is super important. As I talk to CEOs, it's absolutely something that we're working on and that they're working on personally, having coaches that they work with, working with cabinets, working with kitchen cabinets, if you will, mm-hmm. in their own companies of minority populations where or their gay and lesbian community or whatever, like trying to really understand like that portion of their workforce. And then again, marrying that to business practice. Uh And then how do we take that out into the community? How do we help our academic partners create that talent pipeline? Here in Columbus, we have something called now the Columbus Promise, which provides access to a two-year degree for those that are graduating Columbus City Schools. It's an opportunity to go for free, And get that two-year degree, which creates the pipeline. Companies not only enabling that with assistance from government funding, but they're also promising that there's a job at the end of that road. And then if they get better and better about how to retain those people once they get in the door, I can't wait to see those same kids in the boardroom and being part of the Columbus Partnership in 10 years or 20 years. The Intel leadership. Many of them started in community college. Hmm went through the plant. I can point to Worthington Industries and many manufacturers have great examples of this because they started with a technical education. They studied their craft, they studied their business, and they end up in the boardroom and leading worldwide global companies. I get really excited about the opportunity we have in this era to do that, make that happen in financial services, in logistics, in government. And I see it happening every day. And it's not about the programs. This is about being vulnerable, about being curious, and about making investments.
0: Investments in people who are different.
1: Yeah, and also investments in ourselves to make sure that we have the capability to make that happen.
0: When I've mentored people, whether it's the LGBTQ community or black and brown people, it's incredibly rewarding, and there are times that are uncomfortable. Yes, because I see myself through different eyes, and I don't always like what I see.
1: I'm a lot taller and better looking. When I, right? <laughs> <laughs> you
0: are. <laughs> I'm pretty damn short.
1: <laughs> when I look in the mirror, I just try to avoid it. Yeah. Look, that self-assessment is super important as a leader. And again, these, these subjects, which are um, perhaps, again, they were difficult to talk about years ago. It should excite us that these conversations are happening more. They're real, but they're getting less uncomfortable for people the more that they do them. And we're getting better. Think about the great companies, the great institutions, the great leaders we're going to have that have been tested so much over the last three years. I just think that we're going to go into an era where we are all going to be better and Our communities are going to be better for it.
0: That's the anti-fragile, right? That the pressure that makes diamonds makes great leaders.
1: Yep. We've had quite a crucible test here (laughs) the last three years. So (laughs) I, I don't want to repeat that, but I do think it's going to make us all better.
0: Aren't you seeing some people that really, you think maybe I didn't recognize that person before, but they've just put on the cape and shown up?
1: Oh, the leadership has been incredible at every level. And that you don't have to be a C-suite executive to exhibit that. You see that in your staff. You saw in how the community responded. You saw that in nurses and police officers and people that work at the food bank, people that volunteer at the food bank, the people that delivered food. I hope that we don't have a short memory on some of these things because the world doesn't work. Columbus doesn't work. Uh, unless we have respect for one another and that we really are trying to lift each other up.
0: You used the word grace before. To me, it really is most of our people listening to a leadership podcast are fortunate. Yes. And to have the grace with each other, with ourselves, and with just millions of people who don't have the luxury of being in the roles we're in. Well, I know I have to ask for a lot, so I I better practice it (laughs) the other direction. (laughs) So, Kenny, thank you so much it's just a joy to get to help you share your story. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's great. And where would people learn more about you or the Columbus Partnership or One Columbus?
1: I go to the, the website columbusregion.com. If you're interested in Smart Columbus, smartcolumbus.gov, we're easy to find. I invite everybody from around the world that listens to this to look at what Columbus, Ohio is doing. We invite you to to visit and to learn more about our leadership here.
0: Thank you for demonstrating especially the inclusivity and collaboration that I hope more people hear. And in some cases, they think it's the soft stuff. What I hear you saying is, one, it's not soft and it's not easy, but two, it's required. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners, thank you for joining us. Please like us, share us, come back and keep listening, and continue to contribute to the world in the way that you are called to do to continue to elevate all of us.